as we think about uh, these habits that we are forming and adopting and other habits uh, of which we are letting go, um, we're thinking about what happened in the first century in many of the early churches. So two weeks ago, it was All Saints Sunday, but we read a passage from the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, and we talked how, about how healthy churches honor the saints, all of those on whose shoulders we stand. And so we, we call the names of, of 47 of our saints who died in the past year, but who have left this legacy of habits of faithfulness and generosity. Um, last week, uh, from the book of Hebrews, the early uh, book of uh, that early writer wrote how uh, the church is not to neglect to meet, uh, but to always meet together and to persevere. Never neglect to meet and, and always persevere. So we talked about the importance of holding together in person as best we can. And there's been some creative responses to that. There were 50 people or more in the park with a couple of Sunday school classes today and then one that met up here uh, by the playground and then another brand new class came online through Zoom this week. So thank you for responding to that word from Hebrews from the early church. Uh, today we look at the book of Acts. Uh, it is written by Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke. Luke and Acts go hand in hand together. Acts is a continuation of the book of Luke. Uh, so in your reading, just keep on reading. When you get to Luke, go straight to Acts if you'd like. Um, but here's what, here's what the early church did of, uh, according to the book of Acts. Listen for the word of the Lord. Now the whole group of those who believed were of one heart and one soul, and no one claimed private ownership of any possessions, but everything they owned was held in common. With great power, the apostles gave their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon all of them. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as owned land or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. They laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as they had need. There was a Levite, a native of Cyprus, named Joseph, to whom the apostles gave the name Barnabas. It means son of encouragement. He sold a field that belonged to him and then brought the money and laid the money at the disciples' feet. But a man named Ananias, with the consent of his wife Sapphira, she sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back some of the proceeds and brought only a part and laid that at the apostles' feet. Ananias, Peter asked, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, were not the proceeds at your disposal? How is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You did not lie to us, but you lied to God. Now when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and died. I love this line. And great fear seized everyone who heard about it. These young men, they came and wrapped up his body and they carried him out and they buried him. After uh, about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened, and Peter said to her, tell me whether uh, your whole husband sold the land for such and such a price. And she said, yes, that was the price. Peter said to her, how is it that you've agreed to put the Holy Spirit of the Lord to, te to the test? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and died. And when the young men came in, they found her dead, so they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these things. <laughs> this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, that's one way to run a stewardship campaign, right? 
ask everybody to give an accounting of what they've sold and their transactions and decide if any has been held back and, and then remind everybody God loves a cheerful giver. That's in the Bible too, <laughs> yes? Uh, that's not what this habits of a healthy church is, is all about. It's about taking an audit and seeing anyone drop dead and carried out. But giving, habits, sharing are indeed matters of the heart. That's indicated in the text today. What Maggie has shared of all the connection points that she has for her family and for herself and with the community through this church are matters of the heart. They're a response to what God is doing in the hearts of the Brooks family. Thank you for sharing, Maggie. Habits and priorities go hand in hand in my mind. Jesus said where uh, your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. I think how we prioritize our lives develops habits, and the habits that we allow to form actually become our priorities. That's how it works. So we get to decide what will the healthy habits of our lives be, individually, as a family, as a church. What are the healthy habits that we will adopt and maintain, and what are the things that we uh, need to let go of? Today's habit, you've heard it a couple of times now, is the very basic lesson that our children learn from the time they begin socializing. It's the lesson of sharing. I've learned recently that the same is true for puppies. You've seen a lot of images of Lucy, the two-and-a-half-month-old spaniel on social media. Well, here's another Lucy update. She and Harvey are finally starting to warm up to one another, okay? Harvey's a 10-year-old Westie. Uh, terrier, but they call them terrier, terrorist Westie, terrorist, I think is how it goes, for a reason, right? Lucy, the puppy, she likes to lounge in Harvey's kennel, and he's just passive aggressive enough to allow it to happen while letting the whole neighborhood ho know what exactly is going on. That's how Harvey works. Well, the other day, we decided to buy them both their own chew toy, and I thought if one had you know, Lucy had hers and Harvey had his. Everything would be great. They picked them up, and that lasted about two seconds. You know why? They didn't want their own chew toy. Whose did they want? They wanted the other dog's chew toy. So, alas, the fight ensued over a 99-cent chew toy, which became the most important thing in their lives, while all along there was one that lied nice and unused on the floor. There might have been a breakthrough Monday, there might have been a breakthrough Monday. Harvey had the bone sticking out the right side of his mouth. Lucy had it sticking out the left side of her mouth. And they looked like a bridled horse, uh, you know, drawn thing coming through the den and the, and the kitchen uh, doing this synchronized chewing. Maybe, maybe there's a breakthrough. Maybe they're learning how to share. I don't know. I, I don't know how to instill the lesson of sharing to a two-and-a-half-month-old spaniel and a 10-year-old Westie, but I'll keep trying. What I do know is how much more meaningful their, the dog's life could be if they held their chew toys in common. <laughs> and the master would be quite happy too. So when I think about habits of a healthy church related to sharing, I think about everything we have truly belongs to the master anyway. 
And if it truly belongs to God, and God's heart is one that gives generously and freely to God's people, then the heart of God's people is to share. It should be our core value, and it is in so many ways. We see this in Genesis. God spoke and said, let there be light, and things started forming. And then God scooped up some dirt and breathed into it, and life formed people. God said, all of this is yours. Be fruitful and multiply and inhabit the earth. We know another way that God is the great giver, the great sharer. We read about it in John 3.16. God so loved the world that he did what? Gave, shared his only son. We cannot outgive God, but to see the heart of God, we share the heart of God. If we want to know what God's heart is like, we look for it in places where others are sharing their prayers, their presence, their gifts, their service, their witness, their time, talents, and treasures. That's an indicator of where God is present by the notion that the church shares what it has. I think a misconception is that the church talks too much about money, but just a a cursory reading of the New Testament, especially those red letters, indicate that money runs throughout. The talk of money and resources runs throughout the Gospels and the New Testament alike. Jesus talked more about money than he did about anything else, about any social issue or anything else that, that crosses us up. Jesus talked about money more than anything in some way, shape, or form. So honestly, uh, we only talk about it usually during this time of season, during the stewardship time. But I do try, I do try to offer up as many glory sightings as possible related to generosity. Maybe you read about one of those in the E! News this past Thursday. uh, When I shared, you saw that that several of us in a missions committee uh, met together, as we do annually, uh, to disperse $98,000 for missions to local agencies here in Montgomery, Alabama. In the middle of a pandemic, in the middle of everything else that 2020 has brought our way, we have stepped up and said to God, God, you have given us this money, entrusted us to be stewards of this money, and $98,000 of that money, because of the Broadhead Cloud Estate, is going to local agencies to make a difference for Jesus Christ and to bring people together. And here's the thing about generosity. Here's the thing about what we discover in the book of Acts today. When they held all things in common, what that means is the church recognizes that then and now, the church recognizes that we are accountable to and responsible for more people than just our our small circle. The church has the responsibility to care for people who are within arm's reach, a six-foot distance right now in our sanctuary, and the several thousands upon thousands who are watching right now nationally and abroad, but certainly those within all of our zip codes where we live. Because generosity, as indicated in the Gospels and as indicated in the book of Acts, where the early church had its birthday in Acts chapter 2, generosity is a way to build a bridge so that the Holy Spirit will stand in the middle of that bridge and bring together things that wouldn't otherwise come together. So I take a wide approach to stewardship. I take a wide approach to generosity. It's one part money. 
And we need to talk about our financial giving to the church. It takes money to make ministry happen. There's no doubt about it. But we take a wide view, and next Sunday when we are here in the sanctuary or we're here remotely making our pledge through uh, a designated email address or through the church app or, or through our website or just by picking up the phone and saying, uh, I want to pledge this amount. However it is, it's going to be different this year, no doubt, because we're in a different kind of year. But we're going to connect ourselves together because we're bridge builders. For 191 years, our congregation called First Methodist, has decided we want to build bridges. Through our generosity, through our sharing of our prayers, our presence, our gifts, our service, and our witness, we're building a bridge, and the Holy Spirit stands on it and brings together things that might not otherwise be together. Isaiah said something about that. The crooked will be made straight. The rough places will be made plain. The, the high places will come down. The low places will be brought up. And when we hold all things in common, then all people shall see the salvation of the Lord together. So I think when we consider the economy of God, it's a little different. God's kingdom economics or what makes the world go around, not politics, not anything else out there. God's kingdom economics are what make the world go around because we're in the business of bridge building and holding all things in common and seeing the other as our brother and as our sister. There's a parable that I, I ran across this week, and I, I really like this parable. It talks about two brothers who... Uh, at a very early, uh, small age, like children who were tuned in to Jason's Children's Minute just now, uh, they uh, started looking at their toys. They'd always played together, but they always had a huge argument over which toy belonged to which brother. Anybody ever do that growing up? This story is not about my brother and me, by the way, but it, it could be, maybe, I don't know, maybe. We fought over G.I. Joe action figures, we, Hot Wheels, you know, the cool Hot Wheels Star Wars characters, which I wish I still had because they're worth a lot of money right now on eBay, right? But they decided uh, that they were going to just spend their lives, even from an early age, sorting out these toys for this brother and these toys for that brother. They had so many toys that they started with the big stuff, you know, the bikes and the, all that kind of thing, those skateboards, those were bigger items. They were easier to sort out. But then when it got down to the, the little smaller stuff, it took a little more time in the day. So they woke up the next day, and they began making piles of their own two things, dividing themselves off one from the other. The same thing happened the next day. The same thing happened the next day. And before they knew it, they were old men, and they had two big mounds of stuff that they had spent their life sorting out, not appreciating, not using, certainly not sharing, and their family had cut them off. They got tired of hearing about it. The neighbors, they were tired of it too, all of the bickering and the quarreling and the two, the two piles. So they just told them, they just called them the grumpy old men of the neighborhood for this argument that kept ensuing. As a sidebar, I wonder if that's what happened to Ananias and Sapphira, right? These two guys, not a literal death, but they were cut off from the other life-giving relationships called family and friends and neighborhood because they wanted to hoard it. They wanted to hang on to it. Well, they went out one morning, and they noticed something different. There were no longer two piles. There was just one pile. And all the toys and all the stuff that they had amassed was uh, mingled up together. And they were furious. Who would do something like this? Who's responsible for this? They started shouting. 
So they go to the back of the pile, and, and there on the back side of the pile, they, they saw the most glorious sight. You know who was there and, and who had taken those two piles and made them into one and were playing with them and sharing them with, with others? It was two children. It was two kids. And these old men had realized the foolishness of their ways, and they saw how happy these kids were by sharing. So they spent the rest of their time inviting all of the children in the neighborhood to come grab a toy, play a toy, bring a toy, drop a toy. Because the fulfillment in life, you see, is not about what is amassed and sorted out and inventoried. It's about what's given away that is unmeasurable as a response from the heart. From then on, the neighborhood called them big kids. We're going to the big kids' house to play. You know, our own children are leading us right now. Um, they received pledge cards early, our elementary age children. Uh, they came. Some of you have received those, and some of those have started coming uh, back in. I received one uh, back in by the mail this week, and their, his family has given me the chance to, to share this. Uh, young John Philip Bryan, he was here this morning. He was sat in the back, and he waved at me when, I, when he heard his name and, and knew that I was about to talk about his, his pledge card. But he turned back in a pledge card, John Philip did. And he checked just about every box that he possibly could. He said he will attend Sunday school. He will attend worship in children's church. He'll serve and help with mission projects. He'll go to VBS. He'll go to Sprouts. He'll go to Elmo. He's going to pray every day, read his Bible every day, give his offering every day, be kind and loving every day, and be the light of Jesus in this world every day. And he's going to give a dollar every week to the church. And when he was asked, what do you want to give, his direct quote was, Daddy, I want to give everything. He's got preaching in his background. He may be here one day preaching. I want to give everything, said John Philip. I want to give everything too because it already belongs to God. I want to give what I can. We give a portion. Some, some people give 10% of their income. That's an Old Testament model of, of giving one's first fruits, giving 10% of, of one's first fruits. That's a good starting place. Susan and I, we married very young, and we were college students, and we were trying to figure out life, and we didn't have a lot of income on $6 an hour and, and 30 hours a, a week if we were lucky, you know. But, but we started at 2%, worked our way up to 3%, 4%. We tried to figure out creative ways to, to give back. We started working with the youth program when, when things were, were tough there. We, we found moments when we were able to give up to 10% and then beyond because business was good when I was in business before I was in ministry. And then some years we had to down pledge because things were tough. But we had some wise counsel that told us, listen, you give a proportional amount that you're comfortable giving and then you give just a little bit more as a, as a sign of sacrifice that you're all in. And God will honor that. We found that to be true. Time and time again, when we thought we haven't had enough, we've been scraping the bottle of the barrel, we've just been, we continue to give. Now I don't say all that to, to pound my chest. I just want you to know that for your preacher and his family, it's been a process. It's a journey. It's a lifetime commitment, and it's a matter of the heart. And what it all boils down to is we've realized over the years that we're accountable to and responsible for so many other lives other than our own. I, I'm not an economist, I'm not an investment person, but what I have discovered time and again is how the meager givings of one household when placed in the hands of the master, it all of a sudden is transformed in something like a $4 million budget or a $7 million renovation project. I don't know how the math works, but it works. 
when we are trusting enough to step forward and say, I want to be a bridge builder to bring together things and people that otherwise might not be together. I want to be all in. I want to be where life is happening, not where death is happening, where things are coming. I, I want to be where life is happening. And so when we share our time and our talents and our treasure, the Holy Spirit shows up.